Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. As you know, I love butter. You also know how I'm a big advocate of raw dairy, so I love raw butter. Currently, raw butter is only legal on, in some of the states, and it's illegal to sell across state lines. My guest today is Alexia Kulwick, Executive Director of the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Farm to Consumer is a nonprofit organization which protects the rights of farmers and consumers in direct sales with access of the foods of their choice from the source of their choice. Raw milk is a major focus of the organization, and they've been involved the past couple of years with reversing the FDA ban on selling raw butter across state lines. Alexia, welcome to the program. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate having you on. This is an important topic, which I've wanted to cover for a long time. So I appreciate taking your time out of the wonderful service you do with Farm to Consumer to come on here. Thanks. So first, tell the listeners about your background in law and with the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I've been a practicing attorney for over 25 years, and my career early on actually focused on labor and employment issues. And as I was working on some labor concerns, I got much more interested in our food system and our series of federal and state laws that make it very difficult for smaller independent producers, not just to not compete with larger organizations, but to actually produce their products lawfully and be able to sell their products that consumers really want and demand. The regulations really make that difficult on your smaller independent producers. So I got very interested in that and returned and actually did study food and agriculture law several years ago and had got an advanced degree in this specific area of law and then went right to Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. What I really love about the organization is we do work on policy issues, as do many nonprofits, but we are providing direct legal representations to these small independent farms that are constantly being challenged and have obstacles through the regulatory process. And so the other thing I'll just mention up front is that we are a nonprofit and we are a membership-based organization. So we keep our rates quite low. And then for producers, they get legal consultation for a very low price, unlimited consultation. We do some litigation and we have consumer members that support farms that just want to produce real food and sell directly to their consumers. Right. Such as me, I'm a proud member of the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Thank you for doing that. It's very supportive and helpful for small producers. Absolutely. I encourage anyone who's interested in small farms to be a member. Oh, and I should at this point say that you can be a member by visiting our website at farmtoconsumer.org, and we have email and contact information on that website. I know that there are many cases that Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund is currently working on, and one for a couple of years has been legalization of raw butter across state lines. Tell us where we currently stand with this. Yeah, unfortunately, the FDA ban on the interstate sale of raw butter across state lines has been upheld by the courts. I will say 
just as a quick way of background for your listeners to understand, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund had asked the FDA to consider reversing its ban on the interstate sales of raw butter across state lines. And the FDA did not even respond to the organization. And we ultimately had to file a lawsuit in federal court to compel a decision, which they finally did issue to the organization in 2020. And then, of course, the decision was against the organization and against our member, I should say, Mark McAfee from Organic Pastures in California. And then we continued the litigation challenging the decision to continue to prohibit raw butter across state lines and then ultimately also appealed the case to a district Circuit Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C., which also upheld the ban. So unfortunately, at this point, our litigation has ended and the ban still holds. The FDA continues to ban the sales of raw butter across state lines. And as I'm sure we'll get into in your show, we continue to disagree that that's an appropriate ban. It's a healthy product. It's a safe product. We continue to believe there's really no reason to do this. I will also add that what that means is that it leaves it to the states. So in some states, you can have raw milk. And in some states, you can specifically have raw butter. In some states, you can sell raw milk, but not raw butter. So it gets very nuanced in every single state has their own set of rules. Yes. So in fact, let's now get into the safety and the health benefits of raw butter. I think let's start with the safety. And why do you see raw butter as safe despite what the FDA is saying? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons. First, in terms of the science, which I have learned from our members and from other consultants, I'm not an expert at this by any stretch, but what I have learned is that the low moisture content in butter combined with the high fat content in butter create a situation in which it's difficult for pathogens to grow. So the idea behind pasteurization and raw milk is to kill off any potentially dangerous pathogens that could lead to illness. But with raw butter, specifically the substance as it exists is one in which pathogens are very unlikely to take hold and to cause any kind of illness. Another argument that we have is more just based in practice and sort of circumstantial is that there are very, very few cases of illness attributed to raw butter. And in fact, when the ADA finally made its decision in 2020, informing us that it would continue to ban the sales of raw butter, it had a couple of instances of alleged illnesses attached to its decision. But only one of those instances, which was in the early 2000s, could be attributable for certain to raw butter as opposed to any other kind of butter. And it was not done by a producer or farmer. It was a teacher who was working with his class and trying to have an experiment and that did not go very well. So another argument we have is there's very few illnesses attributed to this product. And so there's no reason to ban it across state lines. I know that currently the one raw milk product that is available across state lines is raw cheese Why is that one specifically allowed? Yeah, specifically raw cheese made from raw milk that has been aged for 60 days is legal to sell across state lines and is legal to sell in most states. I don't see a real distinction here. I mean, I think the idea is that by aging cheese, any pathogens die off and that there is, in fact, less likelihood of any illness to occur. But I think the same arguments, frankly, exist in butter. And in fact, our member Mark McAfee in California has consistently been complaining about this issue, that there is not a significant 
difference in the safety issues with cheese made from raw milk and with butter made from raw milk. And so there's really not a rational distinction for the two. And it seems to be one of those things that perhaps within the dairy industry or the cheese industry, they've accepted aged cheese. And so that's been able to continue. I really don't have a great sense or idea of what the distinction there should be. I don't really understand the distinction either. Yeah. That was exactly my thought is raw butter would be the same thing as raw cheese in that it's aged. Has raw cheese always been allowed across state lines? That's a great question. I think it may have always been allowed. I honestly don't know the answer to that. I would have to double check. And I do know that it's only specifically aged cheese. You can't just sell raw cheese from the farm across state lines typically. You very often can within a state, intrastate. But I want to be clear about that. It's the aged cheese that can be lawful, but I'm not positive on the timing of that, to be quite honest. Right. It's the aged cheese. So in other words, the fresh cheese, you cannot sell that across state lines. And that's only legal in the state where it's produced. What reason has the FDA given as the reason for not allowing raw butter sales across state lines? Yeah, it's a very good question. And when I look back at the decision that they issued in 2020, responding to the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund petition, They basically just deny the conclusions that we've raised, (laughs) that we've provided, and try to discount some of the studies that we had provided them showing that this product is healthy and safe, and just suggesting that it's an unsafe product. The FDA takes the position that any dairy product should be made from pasteurized milk, and it refers to studies concerning unpasteurized milk and some health concerns that can occur in unpasteurized milk and to continue to lead to its conclusion that not just fluid milk, but that that any fluid milk product should also be banned. I really don't think that they gave a really great answer. They point to some academic studies concerning raw milk to suggest that raw milk and raw milk products should be banned but they have not provided something very specific to butter. And in fact, I want to continue back to the reason for the FDA denying this, but when they first came up with its prohibition on the sales of raw milk, there was some back and forth litigation on that. And initially the FDA did not ban raw milk. And then ultimately they were ordered to do so by a federal court. That entire litigation involved raw fluid milk. And at the very end of that decision, the judge ruled that the FDA had to prohibit raw milk sales and raw milk products across state lines. And there was really no evidence as to any other products other than the fluid milk in the litigation. So that's one of the things we argued about in our litigation is that they did that without really any scientific evidence. So in my opinion, the FDA continues to do that. And when we filed our petition to reverse the ban, they came back to us basically just trying to dismantle our arguments and, in my opinion, did not do a very good job of creating any of their own arguments. What they said was they discounted or tried to disprove some of the academic studies we had shown in terms of the health and safety of raw butter. We had said that the FDA went beyond their authority and this gets a little bit sort of nerdy legalistic, but that Congress has actually reserved the right to define butter and regulate butter for itself and had not provided that authority to the FDA. But they just say that, of course, they have this authority. And they point to some cases that they attached to their decision where there were illnesses created by butter, but a lot of them were quite old, I mean, into the 1800s old. Several of them, even in their evidence that they attached to their decision, 
we don't have the information as to whether it was just butter or raw butter or pasteurized butter. So based on that evidence, I don't think the decision should have been made. We also pointed out this fact that I've mentioned to you that there are very few instances of illness caused by the sales of raw butter in the states in which it's allowed. And the FDA took the position that, well, because there's a ban on the interstate sales of raw butter, there's not that much of it sold across state lines. And that's the reason we haven't seen many illnesses based on it. So they're basically saying because they regulate it, we don't have these illnesses, which just in my legal opinion, that's backwards, right? You don't start regulating things and then say, oh, see, it worked. There needs to be some kind of evidence and due process to explain why you're regulating something from the get-go, right, before you just start imposing those regulations. So in my opinion, the FDA hasn't given great reasons. They continue to say that pasteurization is better and have basically just disagreed with some of our evidence that we were relying on in terms of scientific evidence for the health and safety, right? The other thing, we talked about safety, but we haven't really mentioned specific health benefits. And I know there are a lot of people out there who very much swear by these raw dairy and raw dairy products for their own health, right? And by not pasteurizing before making it into butter, you have helpful bacteria for your gut bacteria, right? That there's evidence that that helps with your immune system. Certain illnesses people have been able to improve by intake of raw dairy and dairy products, including butter, right? So not only is it safe, but it has helpful benefits, right? Crohn's disease, for example, I know that people say that raw dairy has just helped them tremendously. So the FDA doesn't really say anything about those arguments that we've been able to make. To me, it's a very weak argument the FDA has that the rates of illness from raw butter remain low because it's not sold across state lines. I think it's basically an excuse they have because they have to come up with that reason because, like you said, there's very few cases of people getting sick from raw butter in the states where it is legal. So they can't point to any specific case in the states. They just say, well... Let's look at how it's been safe because it's not sold across state lines. It's kind of, as I see it, almost detracting really from the issue at hand. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a very poor argument. And in this, there are states, obviously, that allow raw butter products. And you could take one of those as a case study, right? And we have not seen the illnesses there. Now, certainly, these products are not produced at the same volume that we see in large agricultural production that are selling things across state lines. But that's sort of the point, because, you know, if you take your time and you're raising your animals and they're grass fed and everything's done more holistically, it's healthier, better food. And so this is one of the ironies is that to keep our food safe, they're suggesting that we have to have this sort of larger industrial production and then pasteurize everything to make sure that there's no potential pathogens in the products. But then at the same time, it kills off anything that's potentially helpful, right? So yeah, it won't kill you, but it's not going to really help you. And it's just keeping you full, essentially, right? Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. And you've just hit upon the whole thing about raw dairy in general, not just raw butter, but any raw dairy product is that because the FDA and the USDA have such strict guidelines and they do much heavier inspection of these raw dairy farms than any pasteurized dairy, that any raw dairy farm I know that's doing it legally, I'm not talking about underground right. raw dairy, they are way more sanitary than any pasteurized dairy you'd find. So raw dairy really has the most sanitary farms and facilities of any dairy out there. 
I believe so. I mean, I think if you're a smaller raw dairy producer, at least all of the folks I've spoken with that are members of our organization, the way to ensure health and safety is to keep those sanitary standards, right? So their animals are kept in clean environments. They have access to pasture. They are eating grass. They are taken well care of. They're not pumped up with antibiotics and they're taken care of. What our members do is prevent any pathogens from getting into the product as opposed to the vast majority of milk circulating in our system is they don't bother to prevent pathogens from entering the milk because they can just put it all together, pasteurize it, kill off the pathogens and then sell it as opposed to preventing the problem in the first place, which I just think is obviously not the best way to produce a healthy product. And it encourages less stringent standards for producing the milk in the first place, because you know that you're going to pasteurize it and kill off the pathogens. So that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And again, you're killing off anything that could be potentially helpful and healthy about the product. And if you go back at this history, I mean, did we need pasteurization? Maybe in certain places, once upon a time when people were raising animals in cities and the sanitation was horrible, Probably, right? Like, I mean, I wouldn't want to drink that milk necessarily, but the way that our members are now with their small farms and raising their animals very holistically, it's extremely safe and it's a healthy product. Raw dairy generally, but specifically butter. So anybody that might quibble with me on milk, butter has those added safety measures, like I mentioned, of being you know, high in fat content, low in moisture content, these pathogens aren't growing, but they have some healthy bacteria that then can help our system that make our guts healthy and that build immunity and all kinds of other things that regular butter wouldn't do for us. Pasteurized dairy basically derived out of a system of farming that we had never had for thousands of years, and that was the industrialized farming right. when it moved into the city. Yeah, I mean, pasteurization was, and I think it started with municipalities requiring it, which is funny to think about, right? Because we don't raise dairy cattle now in cities. So it was before we had refrigeration and before we had the ability to bring products from the farms into the cities, people were bringing animals into the cities and living with them and living in conditions that were pretty deplorable that did allow for pathogens to enter into those products. Again, probably a better practice is avoid that ever from happening in the first place, right? By having an environment in which your animals are safe and healthy and pathogens, they can't have any kind of contamination with the product. So as we've talked about, these raw dairies are way more sanitary than any of the pasteurized dairies. We've discussed how we disagree with the FDA's decision of raw butter sales across state lines. Do you also disagree with the FDA for not allowing sales of any type of raw milk across state lines, whether it's fluid milk or butter or kefir or yogurt? Certainly. I do, and the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense does. That is an important part of our organization and some of the legal work we do provide for people. Here's the thing, right? You have a product that potentially can't, when you're talking fluid milk, you have a product that if done incorrectly, yes, could be potentially unsafe. But I don't know of any other product that the solution is to just ban the product as opposed to ensuring that it's produced in a safe manner, right? And so what I think would be better is providing for some sort of sanitation requirements or some sort of regulatory scheme to ensure that any kind of raw milk product that's being produced is done in a way that will avoid any kind of contamination or pathogen growth that could lead to potential illness, right? I don't know how large a dairy you can have and produce the kind of way that our members do. And so maybe there would be a size limit or other kinds of regulations. 
because if you do raw milk in an unsanitary fashion, I don't think anybody can really argue with the fact that there can, in fact, be some potential illness that could arise. But if done properly, that's not the case. So I think about all the things out there that we do that could potentially be unsafe or unhealthy, and the government doesn't ban us for doing it, but it might, in fact, put in some kind of regulation, right? You might have to pass a driving test to get a driver's license and meet certain requirements when you are driving to make sure that you decrease the chances of injury occurring, right? But it's still an unsafe practice. When it comes to raw milk, instead of regulating it or ensuring that there are ways to do it appropriately, they just ban the product altogether. And that it's very unusual and it's not necessary. And frankly, I think that it has probably added to the system in which milk is produced in this country, in which we have large dairies producing milk, not worrying about sort of the potential for pathogens or contamination because they know they're going to kill off any potential harmful bacteria before the milk is then bottled and sold to the public. To me, the ban on interstate sales has contributed to some of these dairies growing and not having to be in certain conditions and having their animals inside and using antibiotics, keep their animals health and safe in an environment where otherwise they would not be, instead of raising them in an environment that would just avoid them becoming ill in the first place, right? And so I think that this ban even has contributed to the regulations and the way that we produce milk in this country. Yes, and the thing is, people are still getting sick from pasteurized dairy and dairy products. Yes, they are. And a lot of that, I think, does have to do with the process and how from all of these different growers and all these different farms, the milk just gets combined right into the bulk tanks and then they pasteurize and homogenize it and so and it's more difficult to trace right because now you've combined all of this milk from different farms before bottling it and selling it to the customers so yeah there still are instances obviously of illness caused by pasteurized milk and would you say that currently more people are actually getting harmed by pasteurized milk than by raw milk i believe that's the case i haven't looked at statistics lately but i'm pretty certain that you're correct i will say that there's been a couple of instances with raw milk that perhaps the injuries have been more serious. But yeah, I think that as a general rule, pasteurized milk, that's still causing problems. The other issue is that there's a lot of people who can't drink pasteurized milk. So I can't give you the percentages here, but there is definitely some number of people in the country that believe that they are lactose intolerant that I really think are not. Just that the way that our milk is produced is such that their digestive system can't handle that. And so they don't have access to milk that can provide the minerals and the vitamins that are available. And they just can't access that product that has those health benefits. There are certainly people, I don't want to misspeak or speak out of turn, who are completely lactose intolerant, including for raw dairy products, right? There's no doubt about it. But I think that there's a lot less out there than we believe because some people simply can't handle the milk that's produced in the way our country is producing this milk. Their system just can't handle that. And so that's a shame because they don't now have access to a healthy product that would allow them to say, get the healthy bacteria, get vitamin D, have the vitamins and minerals that help our bones stay strong as some of us age. And that's an important aspect of our diet. And they simply don't even have access. And I think that that's really a shame, too. Yes, you mentioned Mark McAfee, who I've known for a long time. He was an early guest on this podcast, and I've seen him speak. I live in California, so I have the pleasure of seeing him at a lot of events. And I remember years ago, he spoke on another podcast about 
lactose intolerance mm-hmm. versus pasteurization intolerance. And I recall he said it's somewhere in the 90% of people that are actually pasteurization intolerant and not lactose intolerant. That sounds about right. And I certainly think Mark follows this extremely carefully. We obviously have been very involved on the legal side of things. Mark's a producer, and I know that follows the statistics on this extremely carefully. So eh, I'd run with that. (laughs) It's amazing what Mark does. Another thing that he does, which I love, is the Raw Milk Institute. As we talked about the importance of having safe, legal raw milk, he has Raw Me, or Raw Milk Institute, Mm -hmm. which will certify raw dairy farms to make sure that they're safe and sanitary and doing everything correctly. Yeah, And he trains other folks who make those resources available, certainly. Raw milk, I think, is certainly something which makes it easier for people to digest milk that can. I know there's other types of ways which dairy can be produced that some have said they've had an easier chance tolerating it. Some people have said simply the idea of having grass-fed milk makes it easier for them to handle than just conventional milk. I've also heard A2. What are your thoughts on those things? Well, I certainly think grass-fed would make a difference simply because the animals are eating the nutrients and the food that they are intended to be consuming, right? Like that nature has provided and this is the way that their system had been constructed, so to speak, right? So I think that when the animals are consuming what is natural for them to consume, obviously their system is then digesting that in a way that I think is producing more healthy milk. When they're corn-fed, when they are fed feed that was not traditionally part of a dairy cattle's diet, that can lead to, I think, having a more difficult time as a consumer to digest that and get the benefits of milk. I think raw dairy probably has greater benefits than conventional grass-fed milk. And again, a lot of that has to do with the healthy bacteria that exists in milk before pasteurization. And when you use the pasteurization process, you're not only killing potentially dangerous pathogens, but you're also killing off a potentially healthy bacteria that can be very beneficial. And just in general, we've gone down this road of sort of sanitizing and pasteurizing and our bodies have not had the same kind of access to and digestion of healthy bacteria that's good for our gut health that in turn then, you know, is better for the health of our entire system. So yeah, I think grass-fed cattle are probably better I think animals that have the ability to engage in movement on the pasture and that are not pumped full of antibiotics are going to be healthier in general. And when you get a product from an animal that's healthier, it's going to be healthier. (laughs) I think it's really that simple. And so, yeah, I think that that makes a difference. Absolutely. And then I think when you make products from that raw milk product, they then contain those health benefits as well, such as raw butter. And I suppose one thing we haven't talked about by the way, is simply that I also think it tastes better. You're eating real food and it has that benefit. So I like it for that reason as well. And I see raw milk similar to cheese and butter in general. We were talking about how some people can handle raw dairy that can't handle pasteurized dairy. And I think it's similar to how I know a lot of people also are lactose intolerant. The two things that they can handle are cheese and butter, that's a lot of times cases for people who are lactose intolerant, they can have those two things. And it makes sense why raw milk they're also able to handle because cheese and butter, those are aged and they build bacteria as you age them. So it's the same thing with raw milk. It has the healthy bacteria still in there. Sure. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Absolutely. Now we've talked about what the reason is that the FDA said that they don't want to legalize raw butter across state lines. Do you think there are other reasons that they're not saying? Oh, That's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? (laughs) 
<laughs> Look, I don't know if the FDA has additional reasons that they're not saying. I will say just across the board that I think that the dairy industry is a pretty powerful lobby. I think that there would be a lot of potential negative reaction from the dairy industry if this were allowed, more from a competitive standpoint than from a health standpoint. Now, whether that's influencing the FDA, I really don't know, and I'm certainly not going to accuse them of that, but I think it's worth always keeping in mind that this is a powerful industry that certainly does not want what the industry articulates as competition from small independent producers, right? And so we see that in states where state legislatures are working towards legalization of raw fluid milk or of raw milk products, we see the dairy industry come out against that. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, I suppose, but I really don't believe that the specialty products that our smaller independent farms are producing really is in competition with your sort of traditional conventional dairy. I just don't see that. But that's certainly, I think, a concern of the larger producers that it is, in fact, competition. So you never know. I also think with the raw butter, and this is just completely my personal thing is this had been a result of litigation in the 1980s. And I think that to reverse that would require work on behalf of the FDA to look at the data and to conduct studies and to do their research in terms of the current scientific knowledge that we have on the issue, which maybe we didn't have in the 1980s, and they just haven't had the will to do so, right? In other words, Rather than having to conduct new studies or look for new scientific evidence, which is along the lines of things that we have been arguing, right, in terms of the health and safety of raw butter, it's kind of easier to just continue the band and not do that. I wonder if that has something to do with it, right, because I just feel like they really didn't have an interest in engaging in the conversation from the get-go. So there could be something along those lines as well. I do think that the scientific evidence today supports the notion that Robert is perfectly healthy and perfectly safe, particularly when produced under particular conditions, right? Sanitary conditions. So yeah, I don't know if something else is going on, but those are two things that come to mind for me that I think are worth thinking about. I don't think that there's a competition either between these small raw dairy farmers and the large dairy companies, I think it's kind of hard for there to be a competition when these raw dairy farmers are limited to selling in their states and a large dairy company can sell across state lines. Right. Of course, maybe there is a thing about how these then small dairy farmers could become large raw dairy farmers sold across the country. Still, I don't think it's a competition because those products, yes, they're both dairy, but I feel like they're sold towards two very different audiences. Yes, I believe so. And the vast majority of producers that do raw dairy, not all, are pretty small. And will they become bigger? Frankly, I doubt it. In a lot of states where it's lawful, they've only been able to sell from the farm or they're not selling in retail. So there hasn't been a lot of competition even in the states that has allowed that kind of regulation. So there'd be a lot of different ways the FDA could take a look at it. What I really think is the most disconcerting, though, is this idea that raw milk products and specifically butter because of its composition. Just simply, there's no reason to have a healthy and safe product that many people find has real health benefits to completely ban a product altogether by prohibiting the interstate sales. To me, it just doesn't make sense. And it's really, there's very few instances in which something like that is true under the law. There's usually maybe regulations or safety concerns or warnings, requirements that you do things in a certain particular way, but to just ban a product is extraordinarily rare and I don't think should be done, right? Consumers 
who recognize the value of this product should have access to it. And then another thing that I find really bizarre is that in states where there are some states that allow for raw fluid milk to be produced and sold, but not raw milk products. So taking it that step further to say age cheese and make the butter, which would be even safer and healthier, aren't allowed in certain states. And I know that there's been some discussion of trying to open that up in some states that has not really taken hold. They've really been very successful. Like Oregon last year, I believe, had state legislation proposed to legalize the sale of raw butter within the state. And that was not a successful endeavor. It did not get passed. That's shocking to me because like we talked about, aging dairy actually is a way to make it safer for people. And for a lot of people, it's more digestible, like the people who are lactose intolerant, they can handle it as butter and cheese. So that's a very backwards thinking, I have to say. I don't know this for sure, but I think it has something to do with to take the product and then even do more to it by processing it right into something else has raised some kind of alleged concern. But again, when you do that processing with butter and then you have a higher fat content and lower moisture, it's actually safer. So it doesn't make a lot of scientific sense, I don't believe. But the bottom line here, and for our organization, that's really important is Even if there are certain things to be careful of in terms of how animals are treated or raised, or even if there are some potential risks in these products, that that really shouldn't be something that's prohibited as a result. But it's something that producers and their consumers and that individuals who are interested in these products should have the right to obtain them right? There's many states that have lawful sales of raw milk and require certain warnings and the like. And okay, fine, right? But then the consumer is given the opportunity to make an educated decision and to decide, I want to buy this product that's healthy, that has this healthy bacteria that I want for my own system, for my own gut, for my own health. And they should be able to make that decision for themselves. Definitely. And I know a big part of farm to consumer is working with small farmers. And so I think in regards to maybe the concern that the big ag industry fears if raw milk was available across state lines, that then you'd see large raw milk businesses. I would say that a lot of these raw dairy farmers, I don't think they want that. I think a lot of them would like to remain as small farmers. We see that with grass-fed beef in general. You have people like Joel Salton that he said he doesn't want to see his company be sold in supermarkets across the country. you go to his farm to buy it. Right. Well, and we're definitely seeing a real increase in consumer demand for buying from your local producers, buying for your local farms. So yeah, we're talking about most of our members simply want to produce at a level that obviously allows them to make some profits and it's a difficult, difficult business, but they're not looking to become, you know, a large corporate giant in the agricultural sector. They're looking to simply being able to produce healthy foods, local foods, make a difference in local economies, make a difference in feeding their local community. And their consumers want that. They can get to know their producer and they can decide for themselves what sort of sanitation environment is provided for the animals and what kind of food they want to choose to consume. So like I say, I mean, we're seeing such an uptick in interest to buy from your local farms. And then we have these regulatory obstacles in the way of letting them do so, which is very frustrating for producers just really trying to serve their communities and make healthy products. What is the current state of conventional dairy? Because I know a few years ago, a number of the largest conventional dairies had filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, I don't think it's great. So I live in the state of Wisconsin, which is obviously a big dairy state. And we have seen a number of dairy farms 
fold, file for bankruptcy and have to close because they've been failing. So I do think that we are seeing real economic barriers and real change in the market when it comes to conventional dairy, for sure. And one thing that we're concerned about here, for example, is there are folks that maybe could have converted their practices and operations to a smaller operation and providing raw milk to their customers, but it's unlawful. And so they didn't have that option. The only option was to just close. So I don't think that conventional dairy is in a great state. I think we've seen a lot of farm failures, which is pretty tragic because the individuals involved, their livelihoods and obviously their ability to care for themselves and their families has deteriorated greatly. So it's not a good situation for those farms, for that industry. And do you see a rise of non-conventional dairies, whether it's grass-fed, organic, A2, raw? I definitely think there's an increase in organic. Now, if you buy, say, from the grocery store organic milk, it has been pasteurized and it has been homogenized. But generally, I think that we are seeing more consumers demanding organic products and that we're seeing more producers doing that. Larger producers, though, just saying that it's organic doesn't really mean that it's necessarily healthy. They may still be in a large CAFO, you can find animal feeding operation where they're not going in outside and not necessarily raised according to animal welfare standards and certainly not necessarily raised on pasture. But I do think that we're seeing an increase in that. In terms of you talk about the A2 protein, that's something that a lot of small raw dairy farms believe in, that that's the healthiest product possible. And we do see that. I do think I will say we're seeing an increase both in interest in raw dairy and in some efforts at the state levels to legalize the sale of the product. So to me, that says more consumers are interested in that. That says that more folks are recognizing the health benefits and more producers are getting involved. So I think there is a genuine interest to increase that production. Right now, I'm not certain that we have seen the increase, right? Because we're seeing places try to start passing legislation, making it possible but I don't know that folks have actually increased that kind of production. One other thing that we do see that I'm sure you know as a member of Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund is in some states where the sale of raw milk product is lawful, you can have what's called a herd share or cow share agreement where consumers become part owners of a dairy herd and then are legally entitled to products from their own animals. So that is something else that we do see in a number of states in that Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund works with our members to create these kind of herd share arrangements on a daily basis. So there are a good number of members doing it in states where this is permitted and we're doing new agreements every day. So as an anecdotal, I suppose potentially, yeah, maybe there is a little bit more of that production happening. We'd still like to see more easing of laws allowing for that milk to just be sold. I agree with your thoughts about organic dairy. It is something which I would say is better because you don't have to worry about any GMOs and other requirements of what makes it organic, but it doesn't say anything about it being fed a diet mainly of grass. And for a long time, that was the focus of alternative dairy was organic dairy as opposed to being grass-fed like there's been with the meat where there's been more focus on that of being grass-fed than organic. Although I see that changing too, because Mm -hmm. I remember in 2018, for the first time, sales of organic dairy were down. And actually, we're now seeing as the future dairy, which is Mm grass-fed, some which is regenerative certified. So it's slow progress, I would say, but we are seeing a change of even better dairy than what we've had. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. The other benefit to moving to allowing smaller producers to be able to produce these foods is to 
put food production back in the hands of local communities, removing it from this system that has become so large and so centralized that it's really become vulnerable, right? Obviously benefits to the environment for the way smaller producers are creating their products as well. So there's just so many benefits to encouraging and supporting local smaller independent farms as opposed to a regulation process that makes it so difficult for them to produce their products. So we've talked about the legalization of raw butter and touched upon a little just general laws pertaining to raw milk and making that more accessible. What other campaigns are currently going on in terms of legal, safe, raw milk for the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund? Well, we are watching and contributing to efforts at the state level to legalize the sales of raw milk. So a lot of state legislators are in session right now. And so I'm even just looking at our list as we speak that North Dakota has a pending bill, and I think it may have passed last week to provide for the sales of some raw milk, certainly. And that's also up at the state level in Hawaii, that's up at the state level in Utah, I think Iowa that I'm not seeing before me in Missouri. So we have been involved in some of those efforts. We don't have the kind of public interest litigation pending on raw milk that we had with raw butter for the last couple of years. I don't know that we have any immediate plans for that. I think we're more focused on seeing if we can help some of our members be able to lawfully produce and sell these products based on changing state law and maybe helping folks with their herd share arrangements with their own consumers as a way of providing the product. We do have something pending at the moment, by the way, called the Campaign for Raw Food, which really does kind of stem from the raw butter litigation and raw butter, which is just keeping our eye open. Potential obstacles to other raw foods, right? If you were to take the raw butter argument, right, to a ludicrous example, would we no longer be able to, I mean, we purchase so many of our foods in the raw and if you eat them in that way, they could contain pathogens, right? So there's a concern about sort of an attack on raw foods generally. But yeah, when it comes to raw fluid milk, really at the state level, trying to help with policy changes is something we've been more focused on lately. In terms of recent legislation, which has been enacted lately, I've noticed that some states now allow raw milk ice cream, which to my understanding, that hasn't been legal before in any state. Yeah, traditionally, the ice cream sales have not been legal. I did notice there was a couple of states that have allowed it. I mean, the same arguments we've made for anything really apply there, right? That if the animals are raised in a sanitary fashion and you ensure that there's not contamination of the product, it's perfectly lawful. I think ice cream has fallen into one of those categories where because there are additional steps that need to be taken to produce the product that state legislatures had previously really held the position that even if they allowed milk, they didn't want the milk to be further processed and sold because of those additional steps that had to be made. But you're right. We've seen it open up in a couple of places. Do you think we're currently seeing states move more in the right or wrong direction in terms of raw milk legislation and legalization? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think I think generally we are moving in the right direction, but I have real hesitation in saying that. And so what I mean by it really is I think we have more state legislatures wanting to allow producers to produce products and sell them to their consumers with less regulation and less restriction and less prohibition. I think that we are seeing a definite increase in that kind of activity. The reason I sound so hesitant to say that it's the right direction is that I think several of the proposals that we have seen purport to make it easier but then the requirements and the regulations that would in fact be put in place could be so onerous as to make it 
just as difficult on the independent smaller producers so that the even though it looks on paper like it has improved and that people may have access to these lawful products, you're still stuck in the situation where if it's overly regulated and overly dictated in terms of how things have to happen and what kind of regulatory process you have, that those smaller folks still won't be able to meet those requirements, get all the licenses and permits that are required to engage in lawful sales. So while I do think it's acceptable to have certain regulations of the sanitation requirements and how production will be made, et cetera, I think that some of the proposals we've seen are a little bit out of control in terms of precisely regulations on maybe the buildings themselves or certain much more details in terms of the actual kinds of equipment perhaps that the producer has to use, things like, and then the regulatory process itself in terms of you need to get a permit, but it's not just a matter of applying and getting a permit. First, you need to have these other kinds of licenses in place. And so I've just seen some proposals that I think would not actually serve a smaller independent producer, but that on paper may sound like they were opening up a product to be more available legally. And so that's sort of my hesitation. I think we're moving slowly in the right direction, but I think that there's, as advocates for it, are working very hard on legislation and providing a system that allows for smaller farms to produce this product, then we're seeing the pushback from the food safety advocates that are leading to a situation and, well, we'll legalize this, but we'll adopt these super stringent standards that sort of really don't change the situation on the ground. Another thing that I think we're seeing is a lot of state legislators have been supportive of the efforts and then delegated authority to come up with the details to their state agencies who have a very different view of raw milk. And so we end up in a situation where I think we may have a legislature who has intended to make it easier for the producer to produce this product and sell it to consumers and then delegated authority to an agency who disagreed with that ever happening and has made it difficult through regulation and through administrative agency rule to be able to produce this product. So what we have been suggesting in working with folks trying to pass this legislation is for there to be a little bit more detail in the state legislation as opposed to simply deferring all authority to an agency where they may create pretty stringent, difficult administrative rules. I think all of that makes sense. I would also add that it goes back to the original topic of the show about legalizing a raw dairy product across state lines. So I think that while we're seeing this great progress in certain states, that then we hit the obstacle of when it comes to making it legal in the whole country, we hit a brick wall. Right. And we've also reached a point, I think, in terms of our economy and our businesses and even farm operations where an interstate prohibition really doesn't make sense and isn't the right way to think about it. I mean, if you think about particularly in the Northeast, you have so many states, we have lots of producers that are producing pretty close to state lines, right? Because we have smaller states and there's a lot of border changing regularly in a lot of business operations. And so it's very frustrating, say, to a farmer, you know, in Pennsylvania, who might have people wanting their product in nearby states, and they can't do that. Whereas in a state, maybe a Western state that's got a far greater land mass, you can sell something intrastate because your customers are all in your state. That's much more convenient. So it doesn't, having the interstate prohibition doesn't have the same impact on them, right? And I think that that's just another interesting aspect of this is that if what you're truly regulating is food safety in terms of maybe how far a product 
gets transported or that sort of thing, that having it be an interstate ban really doesn't answer the question. The reason for the interstate ban is that's the authority that the federal government has. They can't step into the state's and start regulating at the state level. Lots of progress we're seeing with raw dairy. Of course, there's also lots more. So certainly something that you talk about another hour or so, because it's a major issue. We'll certainly cover this again on the program. We're just about out of time. But before we go, give the address where people can go to learn about Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund and perhaps become a member if they'd like to. Yeah, thank you so much for that. So certainly our website is farmtoconsumer.org. We have an email contact that's just info at farmtoconsumer.org. And folks could also, of course, telephone us, if I may, at 703-208-3276. And I really do encourage people to go onto our website. We have some free resources there if folks do join as farmer members or as food artisan producers. We provide legal representation to them. And all members have access to some pretty fantastic resources that are only members-only resources. So I really encourage folks to take a look at that. The more members of any kind, including consumer members that we have, the more legal representation we can provide, right? The greater resources we can use to help all of our members that are trying to produce not just raw milk or raw butter, but all kinds of healthy local produced food that folks are trying to sell directly in their communities. Excellent. Alexia, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you. It was really enjoyable. I appreciate the opportunity. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are released every Wednesday. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore on your favorite podcast site or app. You can also listen to all my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.